Jesus would make the declaration, I am, and then he would describe who he was. But these statements come back to that need that is in man. The want that man has for fulfillment, the want that man has for happiness, for joy, the want that man has for all of the aspects of life, Jesus comes back and he answers them. So as we're going to look this morning in the book of John, we're going to see three of these I am statements. Now, there are others that we're not going to take time to look at even over the next couple weeks, but you would know them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus also said, I am the vine. If any man abide in me. And so Jesus would describe himself in these different ways. We're going to look at three this morning. We're going to start here in John chapter 6. Join me, if you will, in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Now that's important because of some of the things that take place during the time of Passover. We're going to see a little bit later on. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed unto the disciples, disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves, the five loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. This is the setting for what we're going to get to. In this setting, you know the story, the feeding of the 5,000, all the people around. Jesus takes the food from the lad. He begins to break it. And we can only imagine how it unfolds. But all of a sudden, the food just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. To where there are now thousands of people who are eating one boy's lunch. And they eat to the place to where there's a recognition at this moment. There is nowhere else to go get food. This is the only place that there is food. The food is free. And so what does any mama say when the food's free? Keep eating, kid. And, and, and so they just keep filling them up and filling them up and filling them up. So there is a massive amount of food that is eaten here. We understand that. I can remember the first Chick-fil-A day that they ever had. And we went to this Chick-fil-A day in Waynesboro, Virginia is where we were at at the time. We went to Chick-fil-A day. And I remember the line of people out the restaurant, around, the tables were packed, the drive through is double-deckered, stacked around, and my thought was simple. Where's the food? How can they possibly have enough food to feed this many people in that little restaurant? And sure enough, here comes a big old truck unloading more food, because they're just the volume of food it takes to feed thousands. At this moment, 
people now look and they've seen the miracle. The reason they were following to start with early there in the chapter was because they had seen him heal people who are sick and diseased. But they have now all been fed. And at this point, life is good for them, but they begin to see Jesus in a different light. Let's continue reading verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Well, what's the prophet? To them, that meant the Messiah that was supposed to come. Verse 15 now. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew, and so when they had rowed about five and twenty and thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land. So Jesus has now walked on the water to them. They have crossed the sea. They are away from the thousands that were fed. Verse 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save the one where his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. And after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Jesus has crossed the sea. People are trying to figure out about the whole boat thing, how he got over there. But now they see he's not there, the disciples are not there. So they all head back over because he has now fed them. So they go over to Capernaum to find out what's going on. So they get over there, verse 25, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. So Jesus calls them out. They ask the question, how did you get here? Jesus doesn't answer that question. Jesus uncannily had a way of not answering the question that was asked, but answering what was intended. So they ask him, how'd you get here? And he goes, look, you're not after me, seeking me because of the miracles that you've seen. Which in and of itself, why not? But he says to them, you're seeking me just because you were fed. You're just wanting more food. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now, we're getting there, but we've got to see another picture unfold here, and then we'll get to our I Am statement. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. You want to do the work of God, believe in Jesus. They said, therefore, unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Now stop for just a second and think about this question. Beginning of chapter 6, why were they there to begin with? Because they had seen the miracles that he had done. Middle of chapter 6. 
He has fed them all. And they go, but how did you get here from there? there you didn't ride a boat. So there is now a recognition. He has done miracles of healing sick people. He has fed thousands from a couple of little loaves. He has also now managed to transport himself from one side of an ocean to the other without a boat. And then they ask the question, what sign do we see that we're going to believe in you? Now, here's the sad humor of that. Isn't it unbelievable how blind we get to the obvious? And it is true in our generation. It is true in our Christianity. It's true in our world all around us. Our sin and the sin nature of this life blinds us to the obviousness of the working of God all around us. But let's get back to the passage here. They said, therefore, this is verse 30, What sign showest thou then that we might see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Um, I already gave you bread. I already fed you. But they go back to this picture of manna. Manna in the Old Testament is that time of years in which every morning God provided bread for the children of Israel. And when we take that manna and we take the idea that thousands of these people have been fed by bread, then we now come into verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They're thinking, just keep sending us manna. Keep feeding us with the bread you distributed. So we have food all of the time. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out, for I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last days. They said, I am come, and the reason I'm here is I am the bread of life. You're seeking food because you have been filled. And that's good. That's great. I understand it. And they even bring up manna. Lord, you fed us once. Can't you just feed us all the time? Can't that be the sign that you keep giving us food all the time? He said, what you don't understand is you're wanting something that is going to perish. But he takes their desire and he gives them the illustration of who he is. I'm the bread of life. The bread that you ate on the other side of the sea, it fades away. The manna, it was good for a day. But I'm the bread that will satisfy and will take care of everything. One person said, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, not the broccoli of life. Okay, so you don't have to worry about that. Give us this day our daily kale. That was never written in Scripture. God clearly teaches a principle here. The basic substance of food and nourishment in that day. And he says, 
that's who I am to you. And the manna that you saw, the manna that was compared, it was there daily. It was a need that came about every day. It was constant provision. That's exactly who I am. We all tend to have hunger in our lives, something we are looking to for fulfillment. If you have a hunger that only one, excuse me, the only one who can fill it is Jesus. When it comes to a place in my life where I recognize and whether we want to admit it or not, we do recognize it. The, the world recognizes it. If one out of three Americans say that they're happy, that means there is 66% of the world out there that is saying, I'm not, happy. I'm not fulfilled. And Jesus says to that individual, if you're hungering for something that this life's not giving, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that will satisfy, but you have to. To let me satisfy. Jesus declared it himself in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. There is a constant longing in our lives. And that longing just helps us to understand our need for the Savior. Our need for God. Our need for the bread of life. Here's the thing. When you eat, it just doesn't matter how much you eat. You get hungry again. Jesus says, look, I'm the one that will satisfy. That longing in your life that you can't find satisfaction for. There is a hunger in the lives of people. Young people hunger for friends and acceptance. If that acceptance comes by a little click on their social media, then great. If that acceptance comes through some type of communication... One of the hardest things as a pastor when I worked with teenagers that I would see is young people, teenagers, boys and girls alike, who are so desperately seeking acceptance because in their home they weren't getting that support that they needed. But they were seeking that acceptance in ways that were so trivial. And yet there's a God in heaven who says, I have accepted you in Jesus Christ. I have provided you Eternity, I have provided you fellowship with me, and I'm the only one who will satisfy. Stop looking for it everywhere else. Some adults are looking for it in love, if they can just find the right romance, the right relationship. Some are seeking to have rest and happiness. Advancement, achievement is their defining goal. Whatever it is that you are hungering for and you are looking for, the satisfaction comes only in Christ. Complete daily satisfaction comes when we feast on Jesus as the bread of life. There is a doctrinal position out there that, that some who believe in God hold to, that when you partake of the Lord's Supper, that that little piece of bread becomes Jesus Christ. Well, we don't believe that in any way, shape, or form. It's a picture. But there is a reality that Christ is saying, I am the bread of life, and I will meet your need. My kids have this habit, and I'm sure if you have children, you've been there, where they're starving. They're always starving. You know, it's, they eat. We now have a schedule in our house to try and keep the snacking down to about three times a day. So it's breakfast, and then it's a snack like an hour and a half later, and then it's lunch, and then it's another snack, and then it's supper, and it's, I think they try to sneak one more in. It's unbelievable. And my kids all the time, Daddy, I'm starving yesterday. 
Kara left, went to the store. I was there with the kids. Three o'clock is their snack time in the afternoon. So Justice, Daddy, I'm starving. Uh, you're all right. Have a seat. Uh, let me fix this. We'll, we'll get to food here in a little bit. Food is not my priority. Pastor Jeff and I kind of have this joke going back to VBS. Um, we were here this summer working on VBS. Kara and the kids had come up. Something about supper came up. And it's like 6 o'clock now. Pastor Jeff's like, well, I haven't even eaten lunch yet. What are you talking about? Supper. And, and, and so that's kind of the way it rolls. Uh, you know, 3, 4 o'clock this week is kind of when we tended to eat lunch each day. So it's just not a big deal to me. Well, at 3 o'clock, Mike, I'm starving. You're not starving. You don't even know what starving is. You're not starving. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm, you're not starving. Now look, we use that phrase. And the truth is, we know what hunger is. Now, I don't believe really any of us know what starving is. I mean, not personal experience, but we, we know what hunger is. There's another side, too. We know what full is. I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving's good. I don't mind Thanksgiving. And I don't know about some of y'all, but we don't eat stuffing in my house at Thanksgiving, okay? We eat dressing. So that's definitely a line of demarcation there. So, so we eat cornbread dressing, like whole chicken, picked off the bone, cornbread, mixed all up, stuffing. Dressing. I just told on myself. Dressing. When Thanksgiving is done, and we grill turkeys, so we inject them with all the seasoning. So we had a barbecue turkey and a Creole butter turkey this year, so I had one of each. And then we had all of the dressing, then we had mashed potatoes, and we had green bean casserole, and we didn't fix much. And, and so, you know, we had all this stuff. And at the end of the day, when you're done, we decided this year, hey, look, we're going to wait and eat at supper time. Instead of the odd Thanksgiving tradition of eating at like 2.30, who eats then? So it's either let's eat it at lunch or let's eat it at supper. Well, we said, let's just eat it at supper. So 5, 5.30 rolls around, and we sit down and eat. Well, after we ate, we got the kids to bed. I told Kara, I said, now I realize why you eat at 2 o'clock. It's so you can eat it again before you have to clean it up. We eat, and you're done, and you're full. Whew. There's full, and there's hungry. And now look, if you don't write anything else done, this is a profound truth that everybody in here needs to know. I have been full, and I have been hungry. And full's much better than hungry. You go, well, yeah. I, isn't it true? You've been full, you've been hungry, and full's much better than hungry, isn't it? Why do we spiritually walk around hungry? If I'm hungry, what do I do? I stop. I put aside everything else that's going on, and I eat. Even if I have to multitask, I still eat. Some of you, you're grazers. You eat all day long. You're just constantly grazing on something, and normally it's kale. No, you're, you're always just grazing. It's okay, because when you're hungry, you eat. Why? Because full is better than hungry. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we are walking around hungry. We're just going through life hungry. And we're busy, and things are going on, and distractions, and cares. And we're satisfied with being physically full and spiritually hungry. 
when we ought to say, it doesn't matter if I get physically full, I've got to be spiritually full. Jesus said, look, I'm here. You've come, you've come all the way around to me just to get more of the bread that you got yesterday. And it's going to perish and it's going to go away. Stop. Get full on what matters. I am the bread of life. Turn over to John chapter 8. As I mentioned there at the beginning of John chapter 6, we see that the Passover is at hand. That time of great feasting there to the children of Israel. In John chapter 8, you have several things beginning to unfold here. But Jesus comes to a place to where he is dealing specifically with another I am statement about himself. And when Jesus recognizes and declares, look at verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That little verse there, we know it, and we know some other references to it, even in Matthew. But we miss the picture here. Jesus is declaring this at the time of the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles as it comes on the scene. When Jesus goes into this time, he goes into the temple area. There in the temple area, there were different levels of access. The outermost court in the temple area was only for Jews. No one could go into the whole temple mount unless they were a believer in Jehovah. And so they had declared themselves by becoming a Jew. And so you could walk into that court. At that point, basically any Jewish individual could come into that court. It was known as the women's court. The men could go into a separate court further in, but the women were not allowed. So this is kind of a public area. In this court, there were four huge candelabras. Uh, These were massive. Some would believe that they were like the menorah that you see now in in Jewish culture. But these would have been huge candlesticks, and there would have been four of them throughout the court. Some believe historically that these would have been somewhere around 75 feet tall. They would have been massive. They would have been filled with oil. And they would set these ablaze at this Feast of Tabernacle time. And they would set it ablaze at the Feast of Lights. And the reason they would set these off, in fact, historians tell us that when they set these on fire, it not only lit the entire outer court and the entire temple, but they said the whole city would be illuminated from these huge candelabras that would burn. They were there for two reasons. One, they represented to the children of Israel at that moment when the nation's coming out of Egypt. And there's million people. And this millions of people would be wandering through the wilderness. And as they would travel, there was a pillar of fire by night that would lead them as they went. And this massive fire that would shine so that a million people could see it in the sky would follow it as they went on their journeys through the wilderness. The other reference here is to Solomon. When Solomon opens up the temple, and there at the temple, the day he begins to to ask God's blessing on the nation and to have a permanent dwelling, the Ark of the Covenant comes into the holiest of holies. The veil on the curtain is shut, and the Shekinah glory of God falls down on the temple. And the brightness of His glory and the presence of God fills the room. The Feast of Lights represented that moment 
when the presence of God and the leading of God came together with his people. And so when they would come into the temple area and they would see these huge candelabras and all of this light shining around them, it was to represent the power and the guidance and the wisdom and the direction of God. So Jesus now comes into that court and he declares in front of everyone, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of lives. Have you ever walked around in darkness? At this moment in Jewish history, they knew all about darkness. After the Babylonian invasion, or at the time of the Babylonian invasion, the glory of the Lord had departed from the tabernacle. It was gone. At this point, no prophet had spoken for 400 years. The nation of Israel was lost. They didn't know what was going on. They knew there was a promise a Messiah would come, but they didn't know when. They didn't know if it was ever going to happen. And they had no direction. Roman rule had come in. What governmental control the Jews had was all in the Pharisees and Sanhedrin and, and all of this unbelievably litigious religious nature. There was no fellowship with God. They didn't know what to do. The people had gotten so far away from God. And at this moment, Jesus comes in and says, you're lost, but I am the light. Through Jesus, we gain spiritual understanding and wisdom for living. We get our direction. The glory of God had been there in the temple. The presence of God had filled the mount, and yet it had departed. And now, in a much more tangible way, and the truth be told, in a much more powerful way, stands a man. And as people look at him, they just see an ordinary carpenter. And they see a man who now says, I am the light of the world. All of that unbelievable fire in the sky that you used to follow, all of the unbelievable power of the Shekinah glory of God that filled the temple, that's me. That's who I am. And John, as he declares this after Christ has been crucified after the resurrection. John said that's exactly who he was. We didn't quite get it then. But he was the light of the world. For you and I today, Jesus is still the light of the world. Because of our Christianity, meaning that we live in a country where Christianity is still fairly prominent, especially here in the South, because of the fact that oftentimes in the circles we run in, meaning in our families and in our community as a church, we spend a lot of time among other Christians, we see that light. But there is a world that is completely lost. They are lost in the sense of eternity. They don't know if they died where they would spend eternity. There is a world that is lost and that they are going through this life and they don't know how to function. They really don't. They're successful maybe in business. They're contributing to society. But the reality is they're lost. And the purpose of their life has been taken away and they don't even know what to do. Isn't it interesting that at this time of the year, we sing it's the most wonderful time of the year. And yet the rate of those who take their own life goes up tremendously. The world's lost. People are lost. There's a lot of Christians who are kind of lost in their daily life. What are you in darkness about? To the darkness of ignorance, Jesus is the light of wisdom. 
To the darkness of lies, He is the truth. To the darkness of sin, He is the light of victory and holiness. To the darkness of sorrow, He is the light of joy. And to the darkness of death, He is the light of life. You know, one of the hard things about this time of year is Thanksgiving, Christmas are such wonderful family times. And, and here, there are those that this Christmas will be the first time probably in your life that you spend this Christmas without someone who has been there all of your life. They've passed away. They've gone home to be with the Lord. For others, it may not be the first, but it sure feels like it still. And in those moments of darkness, Jesus says, I am the light of life. I know it's hard, but it won't be long. And we'll celebrate Christmas for eternity with those who we love who have gone home to be with the Lord. But whatever the darkness is in your life right now, Jesus is the light. The presence of God is the light for any darkness in your life. And it's easy on Sunday to come in, sit in your Sunday best, to be in church, to be all smiles, and to hide that darkness. But all of us have moments where there's hardness going on in our life. She says, look, you don't have to run. I can bring light into the most difficult of places. Turn over to John chapter 10. We see the third statement. There's actually a fourth right here in the same passage. Jesus makes a declaration here about who he is. And let's begin there in verse 6. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now that's not the one we're focusing on right here. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep. I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jesus helps us to understand at this place. He says, look, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who takes care of you. You're my sheep, and you may not understand everything. You may not know. You may not even be able to take care of yourself. But I'm not just a shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. I am a gracious shepherd. Giving your life for something is more than dying for it. It is an expression of complete care, love, and compassion for it. When Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd, I lay down my life, he is giving up not just in death, 
but he is giving up his rights to help care for you. When you have small children, you recognize that you have to give up a part of your life. Karen and I were basically making fun of ourselves yesterday. You know, we, we get to talking to people, and especially when you have your first child, you have to recognize that life is not the same as it was before. Some people, we, we had a friend who used to say, man, wait till that kid comes, your life is over. And, and no, it, it's not over, it's just different. Your, your life is just different. And when you try to keep your life the same as it was before you get married, before you had a child, it, it doesn't work well because it's not the same. And then finally, we had to admit yesterday, as we were making fun of ourselves, yeah, you know what? We keep trying to make our life the same because we had kids before, and now we just got a couple more. Life's the same. It's not the same. It's just different. And it's a new normal. And you just have to recognize it's not the same. You now have to give up a little bit more of your life. And Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. I lay down my life. He did die on the cross for us, but you have to recognize Jesus doesn't need us. But he gives his life because of his complete care for us. In that Jesus now, though he's not limited by time like we are and resources the way we are, he still now invests in taking care of us because he's a good shepherd. And in taking care of us, he said, there's nothing for you to be afraid of. How much of our lives do we spend worrying about stuff we can't control? We fear death. We fear finances. We fear who gets elected next. We fear what decision's going to come out of Congress. We fear what's going to happen next in the media, what they're going to do in schools. What they're gonna... And we just keep going and going and going and going and going and going and going. Jesus is in heaven saying, look, you, you're my sheep. I've come that you might have life more abundantly. The thief, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's not me. That's not what you've got to worry about. Are there problems that are going to happen from a worldly point of view? Yes. But you don't have to worry about them. It, and this is why it's great in this passage. Look, the, the wolf is going to come. The wolf is going to come and try and attack. But what we're trying to do is to fight the wolf off ourselves. Wolf. Sheep, who wins every time? God, wolf, who wins every time? And he said, look, I'm the shepherd. Let me take care of you. The shepherd's comfort and care calms all of life's concerns. So we come into a time of year in which there's a lot going on in which people are going, man, what I want is... And they're looking, and they're searching. And it may be that in your life, you're looking, you're searching. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm going to satisfy you. I'm the one who can fulfill those needs. And as you're going through life looking for that fulfillment, I'm the one who gives the light. If there's darkness going on right now in your life and your family, I'm the light of the world. Come to me. Let me illuminate it. Let me show you the way. But I don't understand where we're going in this. It's okay. Let me show you the way to where we're going. Because I'm the good shepherd. I'm always going to lead you in the path of righteousness. Not for your sake, but for my name's sake. Because I'm the good shepherd. You see, I will take care of you. I will make sure that you're fed. I will make sure that you're lying down in green pastures. I'll make sure 
that you have the wisdom you need for the steps you must take. But you've got to trust in me. Right now, I don't know what's going on in everybody's lives, but I know this. There's a lot of us walking around hungry. There's a lot of us walking around lost. And there's a lot of us walking around carrying a lot of weight. And we don't have to do any of those things. Because Jesus declared, I am. Let him be, I am for you today. You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask Him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that He will not cast out anyone who calls upon Him. I hope that you will call on Him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you? At HBCGA. .org or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 1045 on Sunday morning, 930 for Sunday school, 5 o'clock for the evening service, and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our services are warm and welcoming, and you will feel right at home. Come and visit us here at Harvest, and call on us if you need us. God bless you.